Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Plastic Fantastic, we bring you the investment case for reusable coffee cups. Moneybox presenter Paul Lewis says it's time to grasp the thistle on how new Scottish income tax bans will work, and he's spotted a few thorny problems. And how much risk should accident victims be expected to take when investing their compensation funds? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT Money Editor, bringing you all this week's money news. Last week, I wrote about how coffee lovers could save money and help save the planet at the same time. How? By ditching takeaway coffee cups that are pretty much impossible to recycle and switching to a reusable cup instead. This will require an upfront investment of a few quid, but as I pointed out, it won't take long before your reusable pays for itself, as nearly all of the big coffee chains are offering discounts of up to 50 pence per drink if you bring your own cup. Joining me in the studio to discuss the story is Chris Baker, General Manager of Keep Cup, the Australian-made reusable cups that are taking the world by storm. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Claire. So for the benefit of listeners who haven't seen Keep Cups, could you just describe them in a few words? Yes, certainly. So Keep Cups essentially replicate the form and function of a disposable cup, but but are reusable. They come in a range of different styles and barista standard sizes. They are recognisable instantly by the bright, vibrant colours. Mm. Uh, they have a heat-resistant band. They have a hard press-on lid. makes it very easy for the consumer to use, but also for the barista behind the counter who's serving the coffee. Because it has to fit under the the bits of the machine that dispense um, our cup of joe. So they're certainly a very striking design, and that's all part of your strategy to convince people to hang on to coffee cups instead of binning them. Yet in London, research by Yo-Yo shows that only 2.5% of coffee buyers are using reusable cups right now. How do you hope to get that figure higher? Well, you're right. Good design is certainly critical. And also for us, the ability to customise the design, giving the consumer the uh, the option to customise the colour components to their own personality. That said, if we want to achieve our mission of 40% reuse rates, it is going to take a lot more than that. Uh, we need to drive greater awareness of the issue, the fact that disposable cups can't be recycled and then they're, they're not recyclable. But also we have to be changing consumer habits. Absolutely. And and this is the FT Money podcast. So I have to ask you about the price of your cups. Sure. So the core range of our cups, they start at £8. And then at the more premium end, uh, they're about £20. The You have to bear in mind with this, though, that they do last for four to five years. So it's, it's a good investment. 
Now, this being the FT, in the piece last week, I also looked at the potential return on investment from sinking your cash into one of your cups. So let's say somebody spends £10 on a customised keep cup. They could earn that back after buying 20 coffees in either Pret-a-Manger or Patisserie Valerie, who are both offering 50p off per drink. That's the most generous discount we could find. Um, But it's not the only one. Leon gives 30 pence off if you bring your own shop. Um, If you bring your own cup, a host of chains, including Starbucks and Paul, will give you 25p. And even Cafe Nero will double loyalty points, which can earn you, guess what, free coffee. So I think it's a great nudge tactic. But in your experience, do consumers care more about saving money or saving the Earth's resources? It's a great question. I think, you know, we've we've been doing this for 10 years now. And in Keep Cups experience over that time, what we've seen is that if people understand the problem, that problem, you know, disposable cups are not recyclable, they are keen to do something about it. Since 2009, we've sold over 10 million cups. And more importantly, in that time, we estimate that that would have diverted about 5 billion disposable cups from landfill. However, in that time, around 5 trillion cups will still have been discarded. Now, you talked about breaking even financially after 20, 20 uses. Actually, you break even environmentally after just 15 uses. What I mean by that is by the time you've used your keep cup 15 times, you're lowering your own personal carbon footprint by having less energy going into the manufacture of those cups. So even though it's a cup that will be around for a lot longer than a disposable one, the energy that goes into manufacturing that is greater or the same as the energy that would go into 15 non-recyclable cups. That's right. Plus you've saved them all from going into landfill. Absolutely. So the government is getting tough on single-use plastics in the UK, but rather than the carrot of a discounted coffee for those who bring their own cup, MPs at the moment seem to be keener on the stick of imposing a latte levy on those who don't bring their own. What's your thinking on that? Again, it comes back to awareness. We welcome the conversation because anything that gets people talking about this is going to put the thoughts into the consumer mind about doing something different, changing their habits. I think You know, we do believe that a small penalty rather than an incentive can be a good reminder of the unnecessary waste that people are creating. It can prompt consumers to make a better choice. You only have to look at what happened with the carrier bag tax to see the effect that Mm. that had. Of course, if we can use the carrot approach and avoid the tax, fantastic. But in our experience, a a, a small levy may be more impactful. Very interesting. So... Thanks very much there to Chris Baker, General Manager at Keep Cup. I think I'm going to have to buy a bigger handbag, though, so I can fit my Keep Cup, my <laughs> reusable bag, and uh, also my reusable straw, which I've also seen um, on your website in there. If you want to read our full article, Reusable Coffee Cups, What's the Return on Investment?, which contains reviews of all of the ones that are currently on the market and all of the discounts that coffee chains are currently providing, go to ft.com slash coffeearbitrage. Coming up on The Money Show, will new legislation force accident victims to take too much risk with their hard-won compensation money? Before that, from April, the Scots are taking the high road to a different income tax system to the rest of the UK. Whilst Holyrood has the power to set its own rates and thresholds, Paul Lewis, the freelance journalist and BBC Moneybox presenter, has been investigating some stubborn creases in the new tartan tax that civil servants and tax authorities are struggling to iron out. He joins me now on the line. Welcome, Paul. Hi, Claire. So here in England, we're just about used to the 20% basic rate of income tax, 40% higher rate and 45% additional rate. But Scotland is going to add a couple of new bans. Well, yes, it is. It's going to have a variety of rates. Um, Starting at 19%, 
uh, on a couple of thousand pounds. Then there'll be 20% basic rate uh, on another band. And then if you earn more than 24,000 pounds, your income tax will go up to 21%. Now, those are all fairly similar. They didn't do anything bold, but it just makes things more complicated. And then, of course, there's the higher rate tax. Now, that's going to start at a lower level in Scotland, 43,430, and it will be 41%, which is a percentage point higher than the rest of the UK, and then the 45% rate is going to become 46%. And to pay higher rate tax in the rest of the UK, you'd have to pay, you'd have to earn 46,350. In Scotland, it's 43,430. So it's, what, nearly £3,000 less when you start paying higher rate tax. Well, these changes might sound small, but they've thrown up some quite interesting niggly anomalies, as you reveal in your column this week. Well, interesting to me. Now, I think they are interesting because, first of all, there's the marginal rate of tax. That's the extra tax you pay if you earn an extra pound. Now, normally, that's pretty much the rate of tax, and you have to add on national insurance, of course. But in Scotland, there will be a band of earnings between about 43,500 and 46,500, where your marginal rate will be 53% of tax. In other words, if you earn an extra pound, more than half of it will go to the state, 53 pence, and 47% will go to you. And that's because of this difference between higher rate tax bands, because although the Scots can set where you start paying higher rate tax, they can't set national insurance. So you're paying their 41% higher rate tax and you're still paying 12% national insurance, whereas normally that comes down to 2%. Sorry about all these percentages, but basically just think of it this way. The state will take more of your money than you get on that band of earnings. Well, we've set out in your article a table showing people how those um, marginal rates of tax both accelerate forming um, these two humps, one for people, as you say, earning between 43 and 46,000 roughly in Scotland. And then there's there's another one for, for higher earners, which you go into in the piece. But moving away just from income tax, you've also spotted a potential niggle with the marriage allowance under the new Scottish system. Yes, indeed. You know, the country that brought you Gretna Green is now going to give its own residents a smaller tax advantage from married bliss. And it all comes down to this new starter rate of 19%. With marriage allowance, you transfer a bit of your personal tax allowance, your tax-free allowance. If you don't pay tax, you can transfer a bit of it to your spouse or civil partner. And in England and Wales and Northern Ireland, that will be worth £238. But because in Scotland the starter rate will be 19%, it's going to be less than that. It's going to be £11.80 less than that. So you'll actually get less advantage from your marriage allowance in Scotland than you do in the rest of the UK, which seems slightly odd, really. Whether it will actually stop anyone getting married for the sake of, <laughs> of £12 a year, who knows? <laughs> well, do... of course, the people who go to Gretna Green will be coming back south of the border, so they'll be all right, but it's the people in Scotland who will actually make slightly less, £226 rather than 238 But yes, I mean, marriage allowance doesn't encourage anyone to get married, it's just a bonus for people who who do that was introduced by by the last government actually the coalition what do hmrc have to say about the difficulties that you've spotted 
Well, HMRC will only say that they are determined that everyone throughout the UK can claim marriage allowance. They haven't said it will be equal, but if they don't do anything, then there will be a, quite a lot of Scottish people who are denied it altogether because they'll be earning these rather odd rates of 19 and 21%. And as the law stands, that would stop them getting it. But I'm told by a contact that there are teams of civil servants poised to sort this out just as soon as the final laws are passed in Scotland and in Westminster to make all this come about. So that's another expense, isn't it? Trying to sort out this mess, not just the policy people, but there'll be problems with working it all out every year, I imagine. Well, sure. And as you say in your column, this doesn't include the cost of all the cold towels that will need to be wrapped around the heads of those doing the number (laughs) crunching. Well, thank you very much there to Paul Lewis, proving yet again that tax most definitely does have to be taxing. You can read his column online now at ft.com slash money or in the FT Weekend newspaper from this Saturday. The FT's tax specialist, Vanessa Holder, will be speaking at our next FT Money Reader event, where we will debate how, rightly or wrongly, people are attempting to hedge their finances against a future Labour government. Jim Pickard, the FT's deputy political editor, and Michael Martin from sponsor 7 Investment Management will be joining me on stage. Tickets cost £35 for the evening event to be held in central London on the evening of Monday the 26th of February. To buy one and read full terms of conditions, go to ft.com slash events. How much risk is too much? A question that investors are constantly grappling with. Our focus this week is on accident victims who have been awarded lump sums that they have to live off for the rest of their lives. The UK government is currently reviewing how these compensation payouts are calculated, which has big implications not just for the victims and their families, but the wider insurance industry and the cost of car insurance premiums for us all. Joining me to discuss is Oliver Ralph, the FT's insurance correspondent, who's written all about this issue in FT Money this week. Welcome, Oliver. Thank you. So as you say in your piece, this all boils down to a piece of legislation called the Ogden Rate. What is it? Well, the Ogden Rate is the way they calculate how much compensation somebody who's been injured in an accident should get. And effectively, it's it's an assumed interest rate or investment return. You say somebody gets a lump sum of money, how much can they earn on this money when it's invested? And so the, the higher the Ogden Rate is, so the more you assume that they can earn interest, then the lower the initial lump sum payment has to be. The lower the rate they use is, then the higher the initial payment has to be. And that's really what's at stake in this debate. So the industry is essentially arguing that the size of these payouts could be lower if the victims receiving compensation monies invested more of their funds in the stock market. Yes, so the 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 insurance industry, which uh, looks to, to minimise payouts when it can, says, well, if the victims invest it in, in assets such as the stock market or in low-risk assets, but still not no-risk assets, then they can make a return on those investments. Lawyers for the victims say, well, no, that's not fair. Our, our clients, the victims, shouldn't have to take any risk at all with their investments. Mm. They should be able to keep them only in very safe assets. And there's quite a big disparity between the level of risk that maybe the insurance industry thinks is acceptable and the level of risk, as you say, that the that the victims are, which you set out in the piece. I mean, in, in one sample portfolio consisting of 49% equities, which seems very high risk to my mind. Yes, well, well, this is this is what financial advisors say, that the, the government changed the rate about a year ago. Before that, the rate was quite high, which, which effectively left uh, accident victims taking a lot of risk in their portfolios. 50, almost 50% in equities for, for some 
portfolio is, which is a lot. Since the, the latest change was made last year, now victims are getting a lot more, means they have to take a lot less risk. But the insurance industry argues actually people are being overcompensated at the moment, and that's driving up insurance premiums for everybody. Now, taking a step back, you could say that this model of giving people a lump sum, which they then have the responsibility of managing the risk for themselves, is not a system that's really designed for the needs of many victims who simply want the certainty that they're not going to run out of money. So in your article, you do mention that there could be a third way. There is. There's there's something called periodical payment orders, PPOs, and these are effectively regular payments, usually annual, from the insurance company to the victim, and, and the payments cover the, the victim's needs without the victim needing to take any investment risk or organise their portfolio at all. Uh, and these are available now, but they're not very popular, and they're getting even less popular than they, they were before. There's lots of reasons why they might not be popular. Perhaps the, the victims might want or need a lump sum, for example, to renovate their houses. That's always a, a big concern, especially mm if a wheelchair use is involved. Exactly, yes. There might be quite big changes that are needed. But there are also other things at play that the uh, lawyers for the victims say that the insurance companies don't want to offer PPOs because the insurance companies don't want these long-term payments on their balance sheets. Conversely, there are arguments that maybe the people who are advising the victims aren't too keen on PPOs either. There is an argument that maybe they would prefer to see the fees from a lump sum than, than from this regular stream of income. So there are lots of reasons why maybe they're not as popular as perhaps they could or should be. Well, thanks very much there to Oliver Ralph, the FT's insurance correspondent. You can read his full piece, A Risk Too Far, Compensation for Accident Victims, in the FT Money section of the FT Weekend newspaper on Saturday or online from Friday at ft.com slash money. That's it from the FT Money show this week. To get in touch with our team of writers or ask one of our experts to look into a financial dilemma, please email us. Our address is money at ft.com or tweet us at FT Money. And don't forget, you can read all of the articles mentioned and more on our website at ft.com slash money. The FT Money Show is produced in London by Lucy Warwick-Ching, Andrew Georgides, and especially for this week, Sam and Theo Ralph. We'll be back next week at the usual time. Goodbye. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.